Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thanks so much for joining us here on the program. We come your way on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. streaming live at those times. We thank you so much for joining us on those, uh, on those dates and times, days and times, but we also encourage you to go to the podcast where you will hear the entire interview because we only get 50 minutes on the radio program. So we encourage you to um, listen to the podcast. They're available on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, as well as many other locations. And uh, we also encourage you to go to our guest's website. All you have to do is click on their name. It's in the field where the uh, player is or click on the grocery cart. It will take you to our guest's website and we'll tell you our guest's website here shortly. And we also encourage you, uh, if you like what we're doing, uh, and you would like to be a part of uh, this endeavor, please uh, feel free to uh, support us financially through PayPal and Patreon. That's for your security as well as ours. And we'll take any amount. We're not picky. We will also take energetic support. So please uh, do what you can. And for those who have helped and those who are going to, thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the work that, uh, that we're doing here that you are helping us to uh, continue on with. I also want to remind you that this is 2020, the year of perfect vision. We are asking you to go within for that perfect vision to uh, basically uh, listen to that still small voice. Find that place of peace and calm. Relax. Take it easy. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to, you're going to make it through this and uh, I guarantee you a whole bunch of other challenges that will come your way because that's what life is all about. It's these wonderful experiences that we have that show us that we're taken care of. As long as we do our part to participate, listen to the still small voice, follow the promptings, and uh, it's going to be good. I guarantee you it's going to be good. I, I'm, I can tell you from firsthand experience. Well, our guest is going to tell us it's going to be good as well. Um, she's a beautiful lady who, uh, on the inside as well as the out, who has written a wonderful, um, you could almost call it a memoir of sorts, called Soul Wounds and Sacred Revelations. It is a warrior's, a warrior daughter's awakening to pain and uh, destiny. And uh, we have the question to our listeners, is healing from childhood emotional pain or family karma even possible? Well, our guest, who is the author, Danine uh, Marlette uh, Joyner is our guest here on the program. Thank you so much for joining us, Janine. Hi, Richard. Thank you for having me. You know, um, I've been looking forward to this interview, especially because of your heritage, if you will. Yes. I have wanted to, um, and, and I'm not putting you up in this, in this position as the, the uh, authority here, but you obviously do have uh, some information that we can uh, learn from. Uh, not only as a black woman, but also as an Indian. Yes. Uh, with long, black flowing hair there, which is somewhat <laughs> traditional, if you will. Uh, but that's your choice. I know there are people who have shorter hair, uh, yes. women as well as men. Yes. Um, and I'm curious as to, uh, first of all, your exposure to your Native American heritage. I would think that your black heritage is probably more prominent because you look to me to be a black. I would have never thought you had any Indian blood. You yeah. appear to me to be a black woman. Uh -huh. Tell me yeah. about the exposure you had yeah. uh, to 
that heritage, which is part of what our, we're going to talk about today. Yes. I would say that, you know, I, wanna, I actually want to start with, um, I have a chapter in the book, Soul Wounds and Sacred Revelations, that actually speaks to your very question. And the, the, the title chapter is The Lesser of Two Evils, The Best of Both Worlds. So we're going to start there. Okay. The lesser of two evils for me growing up was identifying more with what you just mentioned, that I look like a black woman. So to the public eye, as you just stated, when people see me, they automatically think, you know, nothing about it. If there was a poll, you ask 10 people, they probably would say, she's a black woman, 10 times. Mm -hmm. Nobody would ever think that below that, below the surface, as they say, don't judge a book by its cover. It's so true. I really identified with being more Native American than I did African American. And the reason why was because my mother, who was my primary caretaker, is Native American. So she is Native American. My father is West African Nigerian. And he comes from a land called Abaja in Africa. And we'll get to that in a minute. But my mother was her, her family, our lineage actually is in Alabama and Georgia in upper state New York. So that's where the Native American people in my family, once they immigrated and they came here, that's where they primarily lived. Mm-hmm. And then we started to travel, you know, to other areas. And my family ended up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We grew up as Native American people secretly. The secrecy was because we were mistreated as Native Americans. We have a history of being mistreated, misunderstood, being perceived as witches because we have spiritual gifts. So all of these things translated into my life as fear. Be afraid of who you are. Don't speak your truth. Don't tell people that you are Native American because you will be mistreated. This was real for me. My mother uh, instilled that in me, that if you say, because that was her experience, if you say anything to that effect, if you say anything about being Native American, I can't guarantee what will happen to you. I remember distinctly being on college campus. It was probably the end of my freshman year when I got a phone call from my mother, frantic. I thought somebody had died. Really what she was calling about was because she had gotten a a phone call from the admissions and records department and they were being audited. And lo and behold, they pulled my file to prep before these people came. And when they looked at race, ethnicity, I had checked two boxes. I checked that of Native American and I checked African American. You could only choose one is what the lady told my mother. She cannot choose both boxes because back then you couldn't. So I was in the eighties at this time. We're in what the 21st century. And can you believe that in the eighties, it hadn't evolved to being able to check as many boxes. Why not? Why can't you check more than one box? Mm-hmm. Because that's what it said. And so that was my reality then. So my mother, as I just told you, she had her own set of fears. And of course, being thousands of miles away from her, she wanted me to actually choose African-American. She was very upset and disappointed that I would actually even allude that I was Native American, even though My mother is a very proud Native American woman. It was more fear-based. She was afraid of what would happen if there was any negative recourse behind me saying that I was Native American. 
So she told me to get over to the admissions office to fill out a different admissions paper and actually just choose African-American. And so I have to tell you, Richard, that was a very, very dark day for me. I felt that I was betraying my Native American heritage and my blood. I thought that if I went against that, because my mother's wishes was for me to change it and basically just say that I was not Native American, that I was African American, and everybody was making light of it, including my mother, as far as you know who you are. I'm not telling you not to say that you're, you know, that's not your blood, but for records purposes, you cannot choose both. So you have to choose the one that really is more acceptable than the two, which is the lesser of two evils. The Native American was not acceptable. So therefore choose African American. Okay. That's the lesser of two evils. And so I proceeded to go to the admissions office. The lady waited for me, who was very, you know, flippant about, I don't know what the big deal is, that you can't just fill it out and pick one, you know? So I did. I sat there for a minute. It was like I was taking a test of my life. That's how I felt. Mm. I felt like it was something I wasn't prepared to do, that I had to, you know, really just choose. I had to choose something. And I felt in that moment, in choosing being African-American and denying my Native American was just wrong, all the way wrong. So and I said wanted, for Yeah, and you wanted to focus on both of them. You I weren't did. looking to enhance either of them. You said, right. look, I am both of these. By the way, I, I, there is a differentiation that I know. I know that I would venture a majority of whites uh, are not clear on. Now, I have heard that it is better to refer to someone who you think is African-American as black because not all blacks are African-American. You are, but there are blacks from Haiti, mm -hmm. uh, even maybe from Cuba. Right. Uh, people who have very dark skin who aren't yes. necessarily quote unquote black, but mm -hmm. you would perceive them as such from other parts of the world. That's right. And I remember uh, in, uh, in my early days of broadcasting, I was uh, good friends with this one woman who um, was of uh, what I thought was Latina or okay. Hispanic mm -hmm. heritage. Yeah. And we were chatting about another programmer um, who he brought his entourage into the station and they were all from Mexico. So they were all Mexicans. I knew that. So, so I started asking her about her Mexican heritage. Oh, she got, and I'll say this, pissed off. Mm. She was mad. I am not Mexican or Hispanic. Now, it wasn't because she hated or had any problem with Hispanics, mm -hmm. right. but because she was, are you ready for this? Uh-huh. Spanish which is okay. not Mexican. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yes. And it mm -hmm. was then that I learned, okay, you first of all, know your audience. <laughs> uh, and, and we were fine. It's just that she was just correcting me and I appreciate sure. that. Sure. Yes. But, uh, I heard on a podcast just recently um, where a gentleman, he's doing these, he's a, a black man who's doing these podcasts. And um, it's like, a, you might call it, uh, asking the hard questions mm -hmm. and he has all kinds of fairly well-to-do people fairly uh, uh, well-known people I should say and one of the questions that came from his guest because that's how it goes 
what should I call you? Do mm-hmm. I call you African-American? Mm-hmm. And that's where he made the distinction. Call me black. Yes. Because not all blacks are African-Americans. That's right. And one of the other aspects, too, is that you have Native Americans in this country, in this country in particular, mm-hmm. but Native Americans span from Canada to the tip of South America. That's right. Not just the, the United States. Mm-hmm. And I did, uh, I don't know about you, I did my, ge- my, ge- my genealogy, my um, uh, DNA. Sure. I did a DNA mm-hmm. test. Yes. Right. And the initial test came out that I was, I have a, a fair percentage of Native American blood. Yes. Yes, we all North. do. That's the funny yeah. part. And also Italian, which yes. I found out from, from a, a, a program that um, I could actually get my European citizenship because my uh, on my mother's side, my great-grandfather was Italian mm-hmm. and moved here and fa- married his wife and so forth. So this whole issue of uh, race and ethnicity, <clears throat> especially in this highly charged environment we live in today. Um, and I like the fact that it's because it, it, it doesn't exactly have the same rhythm. African-American lives matter. Doesn't flow. Black lives right. matter. Now that yeah. flows. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the fact is that I would venture that many of the, the black individuals who have been harassed and who have lost their lives over the years, decades, yeah. mm-hmm. um, were not all from their heritage or didn't take them back to Africa. Yes. Now, there's another side of this that I'm going to dive into very quickly. We won't spend much more time on this because I do want to get into your story here about healing and, and, and all of this, especially childhood trauma. Um, and that has to, but what I want to ask you about is um, this aspect, uh, especially of the Native Americans. Now, I also found out, as I, well, as I said, I, I found that out. And yet for the longest time, and I was born and raised in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, which has reservations all over the place, all over. Right. Yes. And I never really wanted to dive into that culture because I actually felt at that time, this was before I knew that I was, I was like an interloper. I had no business going there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yet I am very intrigued and I've had the opportunity of interviewing a local Chumash Indian uh, and talking about the from the Chumash perspective, the uh, medicine, yes, and those kinds of things. And then we even talked about how here we had a drought years ago before we ever moved here, and uh, they actually did a rain dance and it brought rain. But he says oh, there's always yeah. a price to pay, always yes. a price to pay for altering yes. or influencing. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, if you get rain, someone else isn't. Right. And so when we've had our, we had our rains, we get them uh, infrequently, but we've, we've gotten some good rains and so on and so forth. We've had our droughts like other parts of the world. And I just basically say, hey, uh, as far as rain's concerned, our turn is coming. This was during the drought. Our mm-hmm. turn will come. We'll get our right. rain. Right. And other places that are getting the rain, they won't. And that's mm-hmm. just the cyclical process. But let me ask you about... Um, your Native American heritage, and what was it that drew you into, shall we say, the medicine 
of your, and is it Iroquois? Yes, Iroquois. Mm-hmm. I got it right. <laughs> yes, you, you did. Yes, it's comprised of six different nations, and they basically just band together to become more powerful. And see, that's the other aspect. There are so many different tribes. There are. Uh, just as there are so many different tribes, if you will, of Africans. Uh, yes. As, uh, as there are of most of, I mean, I started thinking for some reason, the thought of, I wonder, I know there's the, the German measles and uh, there's the, I'm, I, and I'm sure that, for example, influenza, I'm sure that just about every country has had a, an influenza named after their country, you know, the German influenza and the Japanese, right, right. so on and so on and so on. <clears throat> so every country has contributed to yes. some level of illness on the planet. For the most part, huh? Exactly. Um, so it's like, doesn't do us much good, really, to blame one country or another. Yes. Uh, whether it was intentional, accidental, who, right. it doesn't matter. Here we are. Yes, yes, yes. Talk to me about uh, the first or the early exposure, if you will. I mean, I know you, you've talked a little bit about this. To, um, to this Iroquois nation mm-hmm. medicine and uh, yeah. history, culture, yes. et cetera, yes. et cetera. So I was five years old when I started to connect to my gifts for the very first time. It it started as an empath. I always tapped into people's emotions and their deep sadness, and it became mine. I would, out of nowhere, become very emotional, tearful, sensitive, worried. Um, And my mother was concerned at first, and then she realized that it was the gifts that were coming on me. Now, I have to say that nobody really talked to me about that. So my mom knew, but she never sat me down and said, because of, you know, you're, you know, you basically are connecting with, with God, you know, you're going to be experiencing sensitive um, emotions. They're not yours, but it's just, that's how God wires us because that's how we're supposed to be with each other. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to be sensitive to other people's needs and their concerns and their worries. And so I was five and so children are the closest thing to God. Um, and so because I was five, those were still a part of me and activated. And so I started to see these gifts in my life every day. And some of them were really, really fun. Like I used to connect with angels. I could see them. They would dance for me. Oh, they would wow. talk to me. And it was like really, you know, and I laugh and I tell my friends, like, you played with Barbie. I played with angels. And, um, you know, and it was just beautiful. And then on top of that, my mother, again, Native American, the heritage is the storytelling. And, um, and, and that means that my mother carries stories that weren't written in books, but were passed down from my ancestors. So from listening ear to mouth, this went on, you know, it dates back over 500 years, these stories. And they've come forward. And so my mother is a storyteller in my family. She's 90 years old. She's a matriarch. And so generally that's usually who is the storyteller, is the oldest member in the family. However, I'm the storyteller in my family now and I'm the youngest. So we have basically changed um, the entire trajectory of being a storyteller, being the matriarch. I'm actually the seventh daughter um, to my family. And the reason why it was passed on to me was because my um, great-great-grandmother, Lucinda, was a shaman, um, and she actually 
Walk the Earth, 1872 to 1892. She died when she was 20 years old. She was a shaman. When she was born, she was prophetically uh, born and people knew she was coming and her, her birth was, was revered. So when her mother gave birth to her, the whole community knew that this was a shaman in the making and they treated her as such. So she was actually groomed from birth to be who she came here to be. And she fulfilled that. So she fulfilled it by the age of 20. Like, can you imagine coming here and, you know, fulfilling what God put you here and you're done at 20? I mean, I'm, I was 47 when I started my journey. Oh, wow. And I wasn't, I was nowhere near where I was supposed to be. Mm. Can you imagine? Well, I know that, oh, and, and, and. I know that, so, uh, you know, I mean, you hear all these stories of, of these different people who uh, at the age of 70 or 80, I, what was it, Grandma Moses didn't paint her first painting in a, you know, or, or get notoriety until she was 80 or something like that. I mean, mm -hmm. but at the same time, did you also not feel that even though it was at the age of 47, that it was the right time? Oh, for sure. That for maybe sure. you weren't quite ready until that moment. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Everything, I mean, everything is, is, is orchestrated, you know, it, it's, there's no time in spirit world, but you know, here, of course, we're counting birthdays and stuff. That, that means nothing yeah. to them. <laughs> that means nothing. They can care less of us 47. I just saying that because, you know, just to say in reference to her fulfilling, you know, there was no missteps with her is what I'm trying to say. She was born. She was revered. She was groomed. She was a shaman. She was a medicine woman. She was all of these beautiful things. She healed her whole community and then some. And at the tender age of 20, she did everything. Check, 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 check. God said, okay, come home. So her life ended at 20. She gave birth, though, before she left Earth to my great-grandmother, her daughter, Lizzie. So Lizzie was six months old when her mother passed and left her. And the story goes that Lucinda died because of complications of birth. Now that is what, what we refer to as our earthly cover story. That's not what really happened in the spirit world. The spirit world knows that Lucinda fulfilled the reason why she was there, her holy assignment, and she did it well from birth all the way through without a misstep. So mm -hmm. her earthly um, assignment ended when she was 20. But here on earth, we always have to have a reason why somebody's leaving. Yeah. And so what they said was, oh, well, she just gave birth six months ago. Let's just say she had complications, even though there wasn't any complications. Yeah. If you just joined us, we're talking with Deneen Joyner, and she is the author of a wonderful book. I think you're going to want to find out more about her and about the book, Soul Wounds <laughs> and Sacred Revelations. Um, and her website is actually DeneenJoyner.com, D-E-N-E-E-N, -E -E and J-O-Y-N-E-R.com. And please go to her website. We're going to be linked to her website uh, so that you can find out more, continue your evolutionary process, and uh, learn more about what it's all about, so to speak, when it comes to uh, some of these, uh, uh, these soul wounds that we all have experienced at, at one time or another to one degree or another that seem to be as the, the phrase seems to go sometimes on this program, that seem to be holding us back, that seem to be keeping us from finding and fulfilling our life's purpose. Now, <clears throat> you 
are a healer. You have many other gifts as well. Yes. And one of the aspects I'd like to discuss is from your perspective, your experience, your insight and intuition, what to you is healing? Okay. It's definitely a, a, a compilation of things. It really begins with the curiosity of the person to want to do something different. And I think that most people have just really decided somewhere along the way that they're not deserving of a happy life, even though it's really at the core of who we are. We're wired for happiness. We're not wired for pain or to carry it, which is why it becomes so sensitive. You become sensitive to carrying emotional pain because you're not meant to carry it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Most people think that they're sensitive and they grow tired and carrying it because they're just tired of carrying it. No, it's not just you're tired of carrying it. It's not supposed to be there. So healing actually means being able to remove all of the things that you believe healing is for you. Most people look at healing as negative, believe it or not. They think that if I have to face something that happened to me 10 years ago that I never unpacked, that's going to be real ugly. It's going to be traumatic. It's going to be life altering. And I'm never going to recover from it. And that's further from the truth. What I tell people about emotional pain is whatever it is that you have experienced, and it doesn't matter what it is, it could be, you know, it could be something on, um, you know, a lower scale of maybe somebody just really just hurt your feelings. Somebody hurt your feelings and it triggers something else that goes deeper and it feels deeper because of the fact that you've never unpacked it. And so most people don't really want to look at that. They don't want to look at the fact that if somebody said to them, you know, you're telling me you're, you're about to start a new business. You go to your spouse and you say, I'm going to start a new business. I'm going to really just open that floral shop that I always wanted. I've done my research. You know, I know who my competitors are and it's on my heart. I'm just going to do it. And then your spouse says to you in response, I don't think that's a good idea. And you say, why not? Because you never finish anything. Mm. Now, to that person who just heard their husband say, you never finish anything, that's defeating, right? And yeah. because of the fact that you want to do it. But it's going deeper to this person who wants to open the floral shop and the fact that their spouse is not supportive. It's going deeper. And it's making them feel unsupported, unworthy, these are the things that are coming up for this person while their husband is saying, you never finish anything. Nobody ever believes in me. Why is that? People never want to go deeper when these things come up in their life. They want to just stop at, my husband's not supportive. Well, why isn't your husband supportive? Take it further. And why do you feel like he's not supportive? What does that feel like when you're not supported? Are you able to go back and unpack that? Are you able to actually say, I'm going to follow this thread from here in real time where I'm not feeling supported by my husband and follow that thread back to when I was eight years old and I wanted to actually have a lemonade stand. And I kept saying, I want to go to the store. I want to do lemonade stand. I want to do a lemonade stand. And everybody kept blowing me off. No, you can't do it right now. 
okay, fine. And then they come to me and they finally say, okay, you can do the lemonade stand. And you're like over the lemonade stand. You're like, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah. So now all of a sudden people are looking at you like, okay, she doesn't follow through. Well, you told us you wanted to do the lemonade stand. And you're thinking in your mind, well, that was like four months ago. <laughs> so now you want to catch up. And now you want me to be excited about something I was excited about four months ago. Now I want to go and learn ice skating. You know, I want to be, I want to be an ice skater. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to have to get back to you because, you know, me and your dad, we're struggling to try to do all these bills and we can't get you lessons. We can't buy you skates. So you get what I'm saying? You have to be able to, you know, with this healing thing, it's more to just say, I want to heal. I mean, who doesn't want to? But you have to want to really be invested in your healing, you know, because it encompasses so many things. It's more than just saying it, and it's more than just going to therapy and, and meeting with a counselor or a therapist, you know, and discussing, you know, whatever it is that's been unresolved. And I have to say also, Richard, that as far as therapy and counseling, where I'm concerned, and this is my own personal, okay, I have to mm -hmm. say this, it has nothing to do with you or me, this is my own personal um, belief about therapy, counseling, any modality like that versus what I do, which is full healing. I believe if you do not address a trauma or a pain within a year, then what happens is that emotional pain, which is an energy, moves into your soul reservoir and it lives there. It's actively living and breathing until you do something with it. When you allow an energy like soul emotion to reside in you, it's still in there. It's growing. It's festering, if you will, because you're not resolving it. If you're going to therapy for something that happened 15 years ago, my belief is basically all you're doing is giving it lip service and it's staying up in your head more than your soul in your heart, which is where it is now because you have allowed it to live within you for decades. Even though you're going forward to do something about it, really what you're doing is scratching the surface. You're really just, like I said, you're talking about it. You're giving it a reference. You're thinking about it. You're giving it some structure, but you're not going deep enough with it. So really it's not, going to do any um, service to you. The people who I work with have endured decades of therapy. So when they come to me, they're exhausted with it. They want something different and they want it now. Within the first session, they tell me they can't believe it. They're like, why didn't I come to you like 10 years? I could have got this over with decades ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's interesting. And I'm curious as to whether or not you're aware um, with everybody uh, shifting lifestyles for the last three, four months here in the United States in particular, uh, if some of these things are coming up for people that would never have come up had we not gone through this, this uh, outward process, mm -hmm. uh, total lifestyle change uh, you know, to try to help to, to quell this, uh, this particular virus in this case, this pandemic mm -hmm. that's going on. Oh, is that sure. something that you're aware of that oh, for sure. all of a sudden yes. this stuff is starting to bubble up to the yeah, surface? Yeah, yeah. For sure. It, and it's, um, I liken it to uh, what happens to a person individually when they're going through an awakening. 
You know, there's there's stages to an awakening and a person, I'll use that as a reference and then we'll jump back to the universe and what's going on now, you know, but for an individual awakening for a person, what happens is two things. They can either choose to awaken on their own, which is, I always tell people, go for that one, pick A. You don't want, you don't want divine to actually awaken you, which is B. So go for A, choose A, awaken on your own and say, hey, guess what? I'm, I'm ready to heal my life. I'm going to, I'm going to do some things differently and I'm ready to actually start to do that. What happens is when you choose A, then that means you're empowered and you can actually partner with the pain and say, I acknowledge you. I know you're there. I neglected you for how long, but I'm ready to do the work and we're going to actually do this together. When you do that, then you're actually framing it because you're in awakening. And the awakening is actually when you wake up and you're taking inventory. So that's all it is. You're inventorying your life. You're saying, that sucked. That really sucked. But that worked. <laughs> but that worked. I like that one. So I'm going to look into all of these, right? And so you want to figure out how you got where you are. How did I arrive at, you know, feeling stuck, unfulfilled, and everything is like the same? How did I arrive at this and how can I change this up? So the awakening is really just looking at everything, things coming up to the surface, just like you mentioned, for examination. So you're looking at it now. You're looking at it closer. And then we move into the journeying phase. The journeying phase is where you take all of that information from awakening and you're now going to actually look into it. You're actually going to do something to get the answers, if you will. And there's lots of answers. So the journey, and, and then the latter part of it is the mastering phase. That's what we're trying to get to, which is really, really going to clear everything from your soul. And you're actually going to be healed. You're going to understand your life lessons. You're going to be closer to why you're here. So that is just in a nutshell, that's what a person would go through. And so your question is wonderful because it is, reminiscent of the same that's going on in the collective. So right now, like you said, it's 2020. And so we're seeing things for the first time, which is an awakening. So this is a collective awakening that is going on with the remnants of having the coronavirus and this racism that is going on that's coming up. And then we have a president as well that uh, is pretty out there. So it's like all of these things are just like you said, bubbling up and, you know, and I did actually, um, I guess some months ago on my own, I did a Facebook live and I talked about the two of them together. So the coronavirus, along with 2020 is huge because 2020, as we know, means perfect vision. Corona actually is uh, light. Corona means light. And so if you put the two of them together, then you say, okay, my eyes are open now. What am I seeing now that I have light? Because before I was in the dark about things, but now I have Corona vision. Mm -hmm. And now I'm seeing, what am I seeing differently about my life? And now that I have to be quarantined or social distancing, and I, I have more time than I care to spend with myself. Why am I uncomfortable with being alone? How, can we answer that question? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and see, that's the big thing that I've been promoting here on this program about 2020, the year of perfect vision going within. Uh, we've got the time now, spend time, uh, a little solo, uh, little solo time, uh, spend five minutes if you can do that, five minutes meditating or, 
or just, you know, being in nature. My wife and I happen to be very fortunate that we live up above Santa Barbara in a rural area where we have all kinds of animals that pass through and we have dogs and a dog and, a, and cats and chickens, but we have other animals that come through. We've had a bear up there. We had a flock of turkeys and so on and so on and so on. And sometimes I'll just stop. I'll stand outside uh, the house uh, when we get home or when I've get, got, get, uh, arrived home and I'll just feel the breeze. I'll listen, mm -hmm. listen to the birds, uh, the crows. We've got crows up there as well. My wife has noticed uh, that we've got little titmice, little birds, tiny little birds, hummingbirds and on and on and on. Bees. Mm -hmm. I, as a kid, used to be afraid of bees uh, because mm -hmm. I couldn't really see them and didn't know what they right. were doing. And now when they start buzzing around my head, I say, hello, thank you for being here. Um, and, and that's even aside from the whole aspect of uh, the, the, the problem we've been having for the last couple of decades with the bees. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that even if we weren't having a problem, hey, it's great because you, you do such a great job for us in, in fertilizing yes. and pollinating and so forth, yeah. fruits and vegetables. So thank you for being here. Yes, you know? yeah. uh, and I don't even worry. It's not like, and please don't sting me. No, I don't. Right. No, you're not even worried about it. Right. It's not yeah. that important. Right. So, um, and that's the other thing. Let's talk about this from your, uh, from your awareness, your learning, et cetera, et cetera, about this phrase. And I throw this out to a lot of people. I have come to the conclusion probably more so now in the last 14 years living where we do than ever before. Nature is our greatest teacher. Yes. Yes, it is. It is. T tell us about your awareness and your understanding of that and how you get that across to people who are living in very urban areas mm -hmm. yeah that's a beautiful question actually it really is i you know when you said it i got chills to be perfectly honest because it again it reminds me of when we were born you know when when whoever you refer to you know god um who, whatever that looks like for you you know i want your listeners to know that we all were created you know, in his image, and we all have things that live within us that we've grown um, away from. You know, there's there's just beautiful things that were instilled in you prior to even coming here to Earth. And once we come here, you know, we forget that we are those spiritual beings. And and so you're navigating your life as a as an earthly human, but you're really not an earthly human and you're here on assignment and you forget that because there's so many distractions and you're, you're surrounded by people who look like you who are humans and they're acting more human than spiritual and so we all forget the nature part though is what i'm speaking of as far as being connected to the divine so when you ask me about nature i think about the rawest purest beautiful essence of God being instilled in each of us and being able to tap into that at any moment of your life. It doesn't matter where you are. You could be, um, you know, in an urban setting. You could be in, you know, a, a city or um, on a field of corn. You could be, you know, um, up in space. You can tap into divine whenever you like 
You know, that's our birthright. And if you can do that, if you invite, um, because they are so honorable, the spirits are so honorable, they only witness. But if you invite and you say, I need you now, or I want to learn more about you, or I want to feel the essence, I want to feel that essence of what God placed on the inside of me. If you say that, you're going to feel it. Because I know one thing for sure, that when you invite in divine in your life, in your heart, it's activated instantly. It's not a wait. It's not a next week. It's not a this. It's not a good time. It happens instantaneously that you feel different. So if people can do that, if they can invite in divine, and you do have a set of, I call them spiritual posse. You have a spiritual posse. Everybody has a spiritual posse. They're just waiting. They're like, I don't hear anything. This person doesn't even talk to us. <laughs> Well, you know, and I, I even joke with people about uh, listening to the still small voice or spiritual posse. Yes. <laughs> and and uh, I say, look, if you're not going to follow the promptings, why do you bother listening? Now, I say it facetiously because yeah. I want them to listen. Right. Uh, I have learned, and I'm sure you have too, that uh, that spiritual posse, to use your term, uh, it will never put you in harm's way. Mm -mm. It might challenge you. Mm -hmm. in some fashion, but never put you in harm's way. That's right. You're so right. I'm glad you said that because, you know, and that's a whole different show. I'll have to come back and talk to you about. Yeah. Spiritual. I'll, I'd love to come back and tell you who the spiritual posse are and what they consist of and what their role is. But um, you're, you're exactly right. So there are angels that actually are assigned in, in, in um, periods of danger, um, you know, harm, anything like that. Um, so if there was any type of danger, they sense it, they protect you. Uh, if there was an event that was life altering, like a, you know, a car crash or near death experience, they're there with you every step of the way. You're always protected. You're always guided. You're always covered. You know, they, they order your steps. So even if, you know, and you've heard people say, you know, they, they were in a car crash and they were upside down and they couldn't get out. And then all of a sudden they're sensing angels. It's real. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden some stranger comes with, you know, with Hulk strength and, and flips the car over and pulls them out. That's real. So you never have to worry. Just like you said, Richard, you don't, you don't have to worry about any harm coming to you because they're there. And that's one thing about these angels, when you're in, in you know, peril, or if you're in pain, or if you need them, you don't have to invite them, they're coming. Yeah, yeah. Danine Joyner is my guest, Soul Wounds and Sacred Revelations is the title of her book. And Danine Joyner uh, is the website, DaneenJoyner.com. We encourage you to go there to find out more about her and the work she does. Uh, she is available, and obviously we can uh, connect these days more so now through these different uh, platforms, whether it be Skype or Zoom or whatever other names there are out there. Uh, we're able to make that connection. It is not the same, of course, as face-to-face -face, uh, right. contact in that respect. But, mm -hmm. hey, you know, uh, we adapt. Yes. As humans, we adapt. We adjust. We had to. We really have. We've been yeah. pushed. We've been pushed to task. I have to say that this really has made even me like try to be more creative with you know with with my followers. You know. Yeah. It's really put you to task. 
I want to take you back to uh, our conversation earlier about um, about the coronavirus and about obviously the the whole uh, issue going on, and I guess I could refer to the the protesting as uh, we have the coronavirus and we have Black Lives Matter uh, because that's the focal point. Um, Let's set aside Black Lives Matter for just a moment and talk specifically about the coronavirus, which started back in a, supposedly back in November of mm -hmm. uh, 2019. Mm -hmm. From a metaphysical standpoint, spiritual metaphysical, okay, this, then the symbolism's all there. Yes. Um, uh, in, in Spanish or Mex uh, uh, Spanish, a corona means crown. Yes. Which is interesting. So there's some yeah. royalty aspects to it as mm -hmm. well as mm -hmm. light. Yes. We as human beings collectively create scenarios mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that we choose to go through. Yes. From your perspective, and again, from that mm -hmm. level, that higher level. Yes. Why do you think man has chosen to put himself through this scenario? Well, I, I actually I actually have to say that this was already, you know, orchestrated, you know, in, in spirit world. It had to happen. Oh. And it had to happen because of the missed signs, just like the individual awakening I alluded to, you know, when somebody actually arrives at a awakening where divine has to intervene. And I didn't speak to that. So we'll talk about that now. Mm -hmm. Remember when I said, choose a, don't mm -hmm. choose, don't let, you don't want to choose B <laughs> because if you choose B, then that means divine is going to intervene and awaken you. And when that happens, that's when the car flips over. That's when the cancerous diagnosis is you're at stage three or four. That's when those, those heightened events happen. And they happen that way because you've been living distracted and numb. Your eyes have been closed. You've been looking at the wrong thing. So what happens is signs have been delivered to you, but you fail to see them because you're numb. So when we're numb, then what happens is divine has to intervene. And that means I'm going to have to ratchet it up and really get her attention because she's not hearing me. I've been telling her all these things. I've been showing her her life. I've been saying, don't do that anymore but do this. And she does the opposite every time. And she continues to do the same thing year after year, year after year. And we're up in spirit world. We're waiting for her to get to her holy assignment. Mm. She's already lifetimes, you know, behind. She's been, she's been on earth, you know, and mm -hmm. she still hasn't done it, <laughs> you know, and this is like probably her fifth life. She's still playing around. So, you know, we don't have time to play with her, so we're going to just kick it in the high gear. So that's what happens when divine intervenes. That's B. You don't want to, you don't want B. So that's where we're at right now with this coronavirus. So when I say that it had to happen, it had to happen because we missed all the signs collectively. We've missed the signs. This is like a um, pass-fail test that mm. everybody has mm -hmm. to pass or everybody has to fail. We have failed up until now. And so because of that, divine is now on the scene. So the people, unfortunately, who have lost their lives, you know, to this virus, 
they actually signed on for that. And I know that your listeners might say, what is she talking about? They signed on to die. Yes, they did. That was a part of their sole contract before they came. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They knew yeah. about this. So they were handpicked and they said, I'll, I'll volunteer. I volunteer. Mm-hmm. Because in spirit world, if you sacrifice your life, when you get back home, the spirit world, like, I mean, people revere you. Okay. It's not the same there. So they already know that these people signed up to, you know, go to earth, you know, participate in this coronavirus, and they know that they're going to, they're actually going to leave. Mm-hmm. That's the cover story. Remember I talked about the cover story? Right. Uh-huh. The earthly cover story is that, oh, I died of corona. When you get up to the spirit world, it's, hey, you volunteered for that, huh? Get yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's very interesting, too. Um, It was said, uh, this was back maybe a year and a half ago by one of my guests. Mm -hmm. And again, I am uh, sharing this from as as much of an apolitical position as I can. Mm -hmm. That the the man in the White House today is going to be responsible for completely transforming our political system and possibly even our governmental uh, governing system, not by his actions per Mm -hmm. se in terms of consciously doing it Mm -hmm. but by his inaction or unconscious actions for sure and we are kind of seeing that and it's kind of sad too but again he's another one who signed on to that's right that's right for sure thing and that's one of the things that is really hard for people to get it is every human being that has ever lived and ever will live has yes. a contract that's right to play the role they have been given a that's right i don't want to say a script no no they but haven't been, played the, but you're you're right and i tell people given a role that's right and i tell the, the my, my clients i say play your part they know what i mean yeah, yeah. play your part and some people just cannot accept because of their ego centered yes. emotional yes perspective towards this person that person the other Mm-hmm. I finally, I worked through three phases uh, in my life in the last uh, four years uh, or more uh, where I now ask the question um, from a very heart-centered, uh, non-political, non-judgmental position of wanting to understand. And the question is, why? what is it that you are so afraid of? Because that's usually the root Mm-hmm. What is it you're so afraid of that causes you to have to speak and behave in this fashion that you alienate so many other people? What's mm-hmm. going on inside of you? I'm not asking you to change. That is right. not my intent. My intent is for my understanding. Right. That's, that's all. Right. That's, that's all. Right. That's right. And we know that that's where that comes from. It's from a position of fear. Bullies that I grew up with, it Mm -hmm. was from a position of fear. They were more afraid than I was. (laughs) You know, because I knew that at the end of eighth grade, or if I ran far enough and kept my distance, I was fine. I was safe. There's no fear. That's right. But every time I got in proximity to these guys and some girls, um, it was it was not fun at all. I must thank you 
for joining us. And yes, we will have you back on the program. Deneen Joyner, who is my guest, DeneenJoyner.com is the website. Three final questions for you before we wrap up. And I can't okay. thank you enough for being a part of Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World here in My 20 pleasure. My Vision. pleasure. First question is, who is Deneen Joyner? Deneen Joyner is a spirit guide given a holy assignment to return to earthly realm to help people navigate emotional pain with a different lens using indigenous healing to explore their life, to help them clear their souls so they can move forward and fulfill their holy assignment, which has been waiting for them for several lifetimes. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I want to be instrumental in preparing people for their holy assignment. I want to, to be the healer that I am to be able to facilitate that on every level possible. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is to continue to do what I'm doing, which is to remember why I'm here so that I can, you know, manifest the people who are meant to find me so that I can, again, be a, uh, a beacon of light and hope um, for people who are afraid to, to look at their pain, to give it a different lens so that they can be more open to exploring it. Well, Deneen Joyner, thank you again for joining us here on Tell Me Your Story. And uh, we will uh, uh, touch base via email to, to schedule a second okay. interview to okay. continue this conversation. Yes, I'd love to. It's my honor. Thank you for having me. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast podcast, love to love.